You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So for the second day in a row, I get derailed on my NFL draft plans because the Rams are stupid. The Rams are the dumbest franchise in the world. I'm a little disappointed in all of us for spending so much time talking about how bad the Texans are at running things. I've spent a lot of time personally talking about how stupid uh, Schneider is for Seattle and, and shame on me, shame on all of us for not directing all of our attention and ire on the dumbest franchise in history, the L.A. Rams. I just did a YouTube video on this. It's not posted because I have to edit it and do all that good stuff. But man, oh man, I'm just getting angrier and angrier the more I look at just how can you be so stupid? First of all, I guarantee you the, the Rams fans are out there. I haven't seen them, but I guarantee you they're out there saying we're only one guy away and this is the guy. Anytime you catch yourself saying we're one player away, just know that you're sounding stupid every time you say it. You sound like the Jaguars in, what, 2017? The Bears in 2018? Or I guess shift those all up a year. And what did both of the, both of those franchises said that? And both of those franchises went out and got quarterbacks, both of which happened to be Foles. And if you're laughing and say, well, Foles, Foles isn't Stafford. Foles just won a Super Bowl. Stafford's never done that. Stafford can't get to the playoffs despite having great everythings. Oh, he's got a bad team. Yeah, okay. He has had, over his career, great offensive lines. He has had great uh, wide receivers, including ar- arguably the best of all time in Megatron. He has had good defenses. It doesn't matter. And you're giving everything away for him. Why? And, and yes, I'll, I'll fully admit it. Part of the reason I'm so mad is because the beneficiaries of their stupidity are the Lions. The Lions are clearly, clearly the beneficiaries of this. How in the world? I mean, listen, if you want to swap quarterbacks, fine, then you won that trade. If you want to swap quarterbacks and give one first-round pick, I think the Lions win that trade. I think the Lions win that trade. You give two first-round picks and a third on top of it? You're idiots. That's stupid. Stop giving away first-round picks. Seven years in a row now, they will not have had a first-round pick that is unbelievable, and it shows. And all this nonsense, I, I told you when we played the Rams, they're not that good. I was scared of the Bucks. I was scared of the Saints. I was scared of the Chiefs, scared of the Bills. The one team that didn't belong was the Rams. I said it, and I stand by that. They're not that good. And I just, again, I went through the video. Let's look at their team, because I saw, I think it's uh, NFL News Update or whatever that channel is on Twitter, I don't know. But they came out and they're like, you know, they haven't had first-round picks, but I tell you what, they've had some good picks over the years. And then they basically just listed their picks. I mean, this is the team that drafted Cam Akers and Van Jefferson and Ter- Terrell Lewis and uh, Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, uh, Gerald Everett, and, you know, Cooper Cup, Samson Ibukam, and, you know, I mean, just the, the list goes on. I, I listed, how many guys did I list that are awesome? 
One, is Cup awesome? He might be awesome. I don't know. Cam Akers is not awesome. He's fine. There's a, Everybody I listed is fine. You know, they're decent. This is not good. And if you look at their, their team in particular, I went through their list of guys, uh, who they have and who they drafted. The guys that are good football players, and this is via PFF, let's just say 80 and above, right? We're talking like, because again, remember, this is a team that's one away. So no, we're not doing 70. Everybody has 70s. How many guys do you have that are just dominant? Well, now Stafford, who's an 82, 14th best quarterback, who you did not draft. You have Whitworth, who is the 6th best tackle, who you did not draft. You have Havenstein, your other tackle, who is an 80.5, who you did not draft. You have Williams, your corner, who is the 4th best corner in football, who you did not draft. You have Ramsey, ninth overall, who you did not draft. The only other two guys are Aaron Donald and John Johnson, who you did draft. Donald was your second first-round pick, by the way. So no, I'm not going to go out of my way and say this is a fantastic drafting organization. Probably better than a lot of other teams, especially teams that don't have a lot of picks. It's kind of the same thing I've said about the Bears. I mean, th- this is the this is the same. This is like the Bears on steroids, is what this is, where you give everything away for some big name guys because we're just so close. We're so close. You're not that close, dude. You need linebackers. You have you need edge rushers. You could probably use another defensive tackle, even though Donald pretty much clears that up. You could probably use another safety. The interior of offensive line is not very good. Your wide receivers outside a cup are not very good. Your tight ends are not very good. Akers is fine. He's mediocre. He's whatever. You guys are idiots. I don't know how else to put it. I'm sorry for, you know, I got I got family that are Rams fans. I'll have to reach out and give my condolences, although I'm sure they're partying. They're celebrating because that's what fans do. So I'll let them celebrate, I guess. Legit Rams fans, too. Not like, uh, you know, not like they jumped on that one year they were good. They've They've been, I don't know why they're Rams fans, but. Got respect for anybody that's a fan of just a garbage team for years. As long as it's my team knocking them out of the playoffs, I'm I'm fine with it. But I, I you know I just I just hate to break it to you, man. You are not one player away, and that if even if you were, that one player is not Stafford. If you're listen, if you're gonna give everything away, you're not even gonna try to go after Deshaun. And and I I think it was, man, I don't remember who anybody. I can picture his face. I can't remember his name. Andrew Brandt. Um, he was on Twitter saying he believes the reason they did this is because he thinks Stafford is the only one that's actually going to hit the market. In other words, the Texans are never going to actually offer up uh, Deshaun for a trade. The uh, Dak is never going to be traded. Aaron Rodgers is never going to be traded. All these big-name quarterbacks that are potentially going to be getting moved around are not actually going to be out there. Okay, how about this for an option? The Jets are about to draft a new quarterback. How about we keep all our first-round picks and we get Sam Darnold for like a third? How about that? Or we just keep Goff and try to build around the guy. Because remember, he used to be a very good quarterback. I, I, I'm just, there are so many better options than this. And it's not because of Stafford. I mean, th- listen, there's a very real possibility you get Stafford in this super quarterback-friendly system. He is just going to light it up. I'm not saying I'm not scared of Stafford. The Rams are coming to Green Bay. That scares me. That's still stupid. Two things can be true at once. This is going to be a better football team. They're going to be a little bit scary. They could definitely beat the Packers. I still think this is very, very stupid long-term for what you just did to your franchise. And that's not even speaking on how much damage you've done to your cap, which is just your absolute best, biggest talent in the world, is destroying your own salary cap. Like massively overpaying a running back and then deciding you don't want him anymore, so you trade him away and then really damage your salary cap. And again, and I know this is like three years running, and and I'm, I'm... my track record is not great on this, but you can't 
you can't just say Lions going to Lions, right? Granted, it has been that way. It's been that way for 20, 30, 50, 70, 90, infinite years. Lions are just not good. No reason to believe the Lions are going to be good, except there is. The Lions this year have the seventh overall pick. They have a quarterback that they can trade. They can trade the quarterback that they currently have. There's no reason to believe they're going to keep Goff. If this was, you know, uh, just a quarterback swap, and we look at it and just say, ha-ha, Rams now have Stafford, so we don't have to deal with him. The Lions got so much worse because now they have Goff. Ah-ha-ha-ha-ha. Dude, they got the seventh overall pick. They got two additional first-round picks and a quarterback that they can trade. You're telling me they can't trade up and get a quarterback in this draft? And again, the guy that drafted Pat Mahomes, the guy that drafted Baker Mayfield, is now with the Lions. Everything you love about the Kansas City Chiefs, or hate, depending on how you look at it, was done by John Dorsey, their quarterback, their tight end, their wide receiver. That was all Dorsey. The the defensive tackle, who's outside of Aaron Donald, the best defensive tackle in football, that was Dorsey. Then 2018, his first year with the Cleveland Browns, he goes and gets Baker Mayfield, follows that up with Denzel Ward, adds Nick Chubb, who's one of the better running backs in football. That was a second-round pick. Not to mention, he brought in that wide receiver group, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. They've got one of the best offensive lines in football, if not the best offensive line in football. That's not entirely Dorsey, but it was largely Dorsey. He added Olivier Vernon to the opposite side of Miles Garrett to add a really good duo to the pass rush. I mean, it just... That that guy's in Detroit, so the whole Lions gonna Lions thing, why? The only reason the Lions are... It's not because there's some magical dust over Detroit, it's because they're run by idiots. If they give Dorsey the opportunity and say, look, we've got a great opportunity here, what do we do? And, and I'll tell you what, if Dorsey was behind this trade in any capacity, I'm already scared. Because that's what he did in Cleveland. He showed up, he said, forget these guys, we're starting over. He threw everybody out the door, said, we're getting all these guys out, we're starting fresh. Threw everybody out the door, went and got a bunch of new guys, drafted a quarterback, and off they go. Now they're in the playoffs. Now they're in the playoff hunt. They're a volatile team. they got a lot of stuff to figure out, but that core of that team was John Dorsey. And, and as I've said, if all they're doing is bringing him on for a couple months to find the right, to make sure they get the right quarterback and then they ship him out, that's a good enough reason to bring him in right there. You pay him whatever he wants for that job. I'll give you, a, you know, $350,000 to come in for three months and tell me who the, what quarterback to pick and then you're out. I don't know why either side refuses to sign on the dotted line for that one. So, yeah, I'm a little bit frustrated by this whole situation. Um, and, and, look, maybe it will be a disaster. I, I, the other good thing about this, again, first of all, all we know right now is that Stafford is gone is, and Goff, who is a worse quarterback, is now a Lion. That's great news. The Lions are still a bad team. That's good news. There's no reason to believe 100% that John— I mean, listen, even if John does know the right guy to draft, doesn't mean he's going to get him. If we look at this situation as it is right now, Jacksonville and the Jets are probably taking quarterbacks, and there's nothing. This is what I always have to stress when I do my mock draft videos. You can't just trade up because you want to. That's not how this works. The Lions can't say, "Ooh, we have draft capital. We're moving up." With who? You have to have somebody that wants to move back. Jacksonville does not want to move back. They want to pick. The Jets do not want to move back. They want to pick. There's a good chance Miami wants to take Panay Sewell. So now you've got uh, Trevor Lawrence is gone. Uh, Justin Fields, let's just say, is gone. Penny Sewell is now gone. Atlanta's on the clock, and there's a lot of people thinking that they're going to take a quarterback. In fact, there's talk about Matt Ryan possibly being traded, whatever. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But if they take a quarterback, that's the top three. That would most likely be Zach Wilson or, or Justin Fields, whoever the third is. But the bottom line is now those three are gone. Now all we're really looking at is Trey Lance. Trey Lance is really the only other guy. I think Mac Jones is considered, uh, you know, he's way down the list of guys. He's, you know, 
early second currently. Some people probably have him as like a mid to late first. But point is, it doesn't matter if you can trade up if you get the same guy when you move back. Now, if they don't want to take, talking about Atlanta, if you don't want to take a quarterback, this is possibly somebody who wants to trade back because they need a lot of stuff. I think trading back and drafting one of the top corners is an option. Cincinnati is another team that might possibly trade back. So there's the the problem is, I think right now the Lions are in Trey Lance territory. And Trey Lance is um, your worst nightmare, more so than any of these other guys. Why? Let me read you a couple stats here. In um, 2018, his first year at NDSU, he didn't play a ton, but he had one pass for 12 yards. He ran seven times for 82 yards. In 2019, his only real full year, in which he got a 90.7 overall grade, he passed 288 times for 2,788 yards, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. That's not where the story ends, though. He ran the ball, let's see, 134 times for 1,150 yards, 6.9 yards per attempt. He had uh, 14 touchdowns rushing, 57 first downs, 39 rushes over 10 yards, 4.67 yards per per carry after contact 61 yards was his longest he had 40 avoided tackles this past year he had 30 attempts 15 completions for 149 yards two touchdowns and one interception he ran the ball 13 times for 161 yards he ran for more yards than he threw and remember when you throw a pass it's not just how far the ball traveled there's also the wide receiver's ability to run for more yards all that combined didn't combine for what he ran for in 2020. This guy runs like the wind. And the fact is, he's a monster. I mean, Walter Cherepinski compares him to Josh Allen. Why? Because he is six foot four, 226 pounds. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he can run. Now, you know, the concern is he plays for NDSU, so, you know, ideally he's not. Still, tell me that doesn't scare you to death as a Packers fan. I mean, granted, we're getting a new defensive coordinator. Maybe things will change for us, too. I don't know, but I don't like that. I don't like, you know, you get a guy. Let's just say that there's one guy in this draft, and his whole thing is he's a mediocre quarterback, but the guy's a great running quarterback. Let's let's say similar to Lamar. Not quite that good, but, you know, you're not as scared of him when he's standing in the pocket throwing, but he can just take off and kill you with his legs. That's the ultimate fear. You tell me you want that guy in the NFC North? I don't want that guy in the NFC North. I would almost rather have Josh Allen than Lamar. Just because Josh Allen, you you understand what it, you know, you take away his weapons and he's a little bit neutralized. Granted, Josh Allen can run, but that's, you get what I'm pointing at here. We have the ability to neutralize the wide receivers and that neutralizes the quarterback. There's nothing you can do to neutralize Lamar. You take away all his weapons and he can run. So I, I don't know. And again, it could, it could be even worse than that. He could trade up and get, uh, get a guy like Wilson, and Wilson ends up being the next great I mean, who knows? Again, the, the main point that I was trying to bring up here is that it may not be in their control. There's four guys, four quarterbacks that are seen as, as decent enough values. Maybe Trey Lance isn't even seen as that good of a value, in which case there's three guys, and I don't know if the Lions get any of them. And they're going to have to trade up. There's no question they're going to have to use uh, some of their compensation to trade up because, again, Carolina wants to move up, Denver wants to move up, the 49ers may want to move up. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I'm getting excited for the this is, this is at least getting me excited for the draft, which is putting me in a better mood. I mean, from a from a football standpoint, this is really exciting stuff. I mean, I just as an NFL fan, I'm really excited to see what John Dorsey and the Lions do. I just hate that it might negatively impact, impact the Packers. I really hate that. 
I just I, I you know again putting on my NFL fan cap, NFL draft fan cap. I love building and developing teams. I've always kind of been a fan, not a fan of the Lions because they've done a terrible team, but I've always felt like they've been a team that's, you know, it's it's manageable. If I'm a GM, I'm kind of looking at the Lions going, I think I can work with this. I think I can make this work, especially with the high picks and dealing Stafford and now the position we're in. I could probably make it. they got a lot of work to do, but I look at Atlanta and it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to Atlanta. Um, Cincinnati, maybe. We really got to stack up on offensive line talent. I don't want to touch Philly. I don't like that. I, you know, they've got a, they've, they've got two quarterbacks. I don't think I like either of them. Jalen Hurts is, is there's a lot of potential there, but you kind of wonder. I don't know what his top end is. Is he going to be that kind of guy that, you know, you can win a, a decent chunk of games in the regular season, but we're just never going to get over the hump. Carolina's kind of a mess. Denver is a is a no brainer. Find a quarterback and, and you got a team. I think that would have been a. I mean, that would have been a great fit. I mean, even even LA is a good fit for Stafford too. I think it's a great fit. I just think it was way too much compensate. Give, give a first round pick for Stafford. The other thing that makes me wonder is how much in the world. Think about this. So so Stafford apparently is worth your starting quarterback, two first round picks and a third. I think I'm getting that right. Let me verify that. Detroit will acquire Goff, a 2021 third round pick, um, and then 2022 and 2023 first-round picks. Yeah. Crazy. All right, so that's the standard for Stafford. He's in his 30s. He's coming off injuries in 2019, I think. He missed half the year. Never really won anything, never really accomplished anything. That's what he's worth. Your starting quarterback, this year's third, next year's first, the year after's first. What in the world is Aaron Rodgers first? And again, remember, you can only give three first-round picks this year, next year, and the year after. That's it. Bare minimum, you're getting all three of those first-round pick. We're getting a 2021 first, a 2022 first, a 2023 first, and I don't think that's enough. Again, that's that's similar in compensation when you factor in they got a third and a starting quarterback. So that we're all, we're basically even at that point. Maybe getting a little bit more depending on when those first-round picks are taking place. Maybe if it's the Jets, because with the Jets you could probably get Darnold and then three first-round picks, and they're high first-round picks. At least one is going to be the number two overall pick, and then we're just going to take a quarterback and deal Darnold. And I'm not saying I want this to happen. I'm just I'm just thinking through it because it's like, dude, we could get a haul for Aaron Rodgers. The guy's the league MVP. He was clearly the best quarterback in football this year. It's one of those things where it's like this should be an easy decision to say, of course we're not moving on from Aaron Rodgers. But you look at how stupid other teams are, and it's like, man, I wonder... I just wonder how stupid we could get somebody to be. But then you got to take it to the next level. So Aaron Rodgers is worth like three early firsts and a quarterback or something. I don't know. What? It, I don't think there's enough compensation in the world for Deshaun. Because Deshaun is worth a lot more than Rodgers. Because he's a lot younger. I mean, it's, it's like a slightly lesser version of Rodgers, but you get him for 15 years. He's your, he's, you know, that, and, and, and you look at it from that standpoint and say, okay, you give up three first-round picks, you're going to have first-round picks and all that stuff back after three years, and you're going to have him for another 10 after that. With Aaron Rodgers, you get Aaron Rodgers, and basically you have no picks to be able to support Aaron Rodgers for the entire time in which you have Aaron Rodgers. So by the time you get your picks back, Rodgers is, is going to be basically gone. And, and you know, there's an outside chance maybe he plays until he's 42 or whatever. I don't know. But that's, that. I just, man, it makes you think, you know. I, I just, I would love to be able to be, Gutekunst to just pick up the phone and be like, I'm not saying I'm trading them. I'm just wondering, like, if I was, what what are you thinking? 
it also puts the Texans in a stand in, in a position of I understand from their their standpoint saying we're not trading him. I think you're idiots if you don't. Because they will give you everything for him. And you've got a quarterback that doesn't want to be there. And I, I understand I mean that is a massive failure on your part to to basically have the talent and you're in a position where you never, ever, 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 ever trade away that player, but you've done such a bad job managing your team, he doesn't want to be there. So I guess number one priority is fire everybody, hire a whole new staff, and try to win him back. If that doesn't work, then we move on, and we try to we we're, automatically we're getting those three first-round picks. I'm, I'm looking at I want three second-round picks as well. And I know that's crazy, and I don't know who's going to do that, but I'll tell you what, if Stafford is worth all that compensation, Stafford... Yeah, I want three first-round picks, I want three second-round picks, and maybe a little bit of a kicker on top of that. I don't know. I probably won't touch your picks, but maybe I want some players. Or maybe just give me the three first-round picks, and I'm looking at a bunch of players. I want your left tackle, and I want your number one wide receiver, and I want three first-round picks, and you can have my quarterback. Something, you know, I don't know. It's crazy, man. But it, but it, but again, it's I'm, I'm upset, but I'm excited because it's, you know, the NFL, as, as much as it's kind of dumb that I'm into it, it's becoming a... a giant soap opera it's a soap opera for dudes and i just i kind of like it what is live shopping what in the world is that they have live shopping on facebook i i don't know why i accidentally clicked on marketplace and i've been staring at like cars that are sitting here they have live shopping and now there's a lady what are you looking at there's a lady staring at me what are you selling are you selling something what are you talking about join leslie as she talks about our newest bags for spring don't talk about it be about it lady where's the bag show me the bags this is this is I want to I want to do this now. Every time there's a new thing, I want to do it. That's just my personality. I got enough to do. I got plenty to do. It's like, dude, I could do that. I could get some stuff to sell. Been big on like selling eBay stuff. The problem is all the work involved. I want to just go get cool stuff and then st- sit in front of my camera and be like, all right, who wants this cool thing? You want it? Boom, give me the money. I'll send it. And I'd show you the stuff, not sit here like Leslie staring at me. Like, I mean, yeah, cool, man. You got a good camera, and I'm sure you're saying great words. I don't know. It's muted, and I have no desire to unmute it, but where's the bags, man? I'm really intrigued by that. I wonder how that works. I got some cool stuff. I have this neon. It is a Coors Light. It's a, uh, it's like a sign. It's got like a clock and everything, but you can like program it. It's got a remote where you can like put words and stuff on it. Um, it's worth like 200 bucks, and I've just been too lazy to even list it to get it sold. Um, I would happily take a hundred dollars for it, but again, just to, plus you gotta, when you locally, I would, it's not that hard, but if you do it on eBay and stuff, you got to package it so it doesn't break. And then you got to find a box that fits and I don't have, I get rid of all my boxes cause I want space. I got some cool stuff. I just, you know, I don't know. I gotta check out this live shopping thing and I gotta get Leslie off my screen cause she keeps smiling at me and it's freaking me out. What are you so happy about Leslie? What is so ha- What are you so happy about? Show me the bags. Leslie. Spells it with a Z. Leslie, get out of here. What up, Wisconsin Houses? Following me on Instagram. All right, um, this is spiraled out of control. Let's take a break. I don't know what we're doing after the break because this was, again, supposed to be draft stuff. Um, Speaking of, I'm thinking about going live again. I'm going to take the phone number off. Not going to do that. Maybe we will do a mock draft just for fun, something fun to do. I don't know. Probably do a first-round mock, which means I will probably share it with my um, other facebook group the nfl draft facebook group because i don't really want to do a Packers seven round mock because i don't know i just i don't really feel like it i don't really like seven round mocks as much because it's 
the first round guys are not even set. You know, there's guys in the first round that are going to be third round guys, guys in the third round that are going to squeak their way into the first round. Stuff is getting all kinds of crazy. I, I you start doing seven round mocks, and there's guys who haven't even declared. You know, you got. I've, I've been working real hard on cleaning all that up. Guys that are going back to school, taking them off my list and everything. But I mean, some of these guys. I mean, you're going to take somebody in the fourth round that's going to go undrafted. You know, seventh round guys that are going to be second round guys. It's just it gets ugly. You know. We'll, we'll ease our way into it. We'll do it eventually. I just, I kind of feel like doing a first-round mock, and I might, maybe I should put it on YouTube. Put it on the YouTubes. That'd be fun. Anyways, let's, uh, let's take a break, and maybe, let's, let's do some draft stuff. Let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back if you're into it. If you're not, catch you next time. By the way, I got some shout-outs here. I did a little shout-out on my, uh, thing yesterday, but, uh, big, giant, massive shout-out to Woody from Arizona. Thank you very much for that donation to Venmo. Again, mostly we got a bunch of deleteds here, but uh, thank you to Green Bay Packer Nation. Stimulus payment may arrive as a debit card. I don't want a debit card. What are you talking about? Sorry. Very distracted. This is what happens on the weekend, man. I slept in. I got a bunch of coffee trying to force me to go buy stuff. I just, I'm putting it in savings whether you like it or not. Sorry. But that is Brady from Green Bay Packer Nation Facebook page. Been having a lot of fun working with him. Learned a lot as far as going live and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's going live, by the way, every day. He's very. Pro- I, I clearly am unprofessional doing the live things on Facebook. I'm having fun. He's been doing it a long time, so I'm trying to learn from him a little bit on that whole situation. We're going to be doing more stuff next year during the season. Hopefully some stuff um, in the off season as well. We'll see how that goes. But uh, basically right now we're just throwing money back and forth at each other, supporting each other. It reminds me of that episode of The Office where they like keep doing favor. Uh, Dwight and uh, and Andy keep doing stuff for each other. I threw some stars at him, and then he jumps on my Patreon, and it's like, oh shoot, I gotta <laughs> I gotta give him some more stars, man. But Brady, thank you very much for that, man. Also, want to say thank you to Jack Withreed. What? It's a lot of unle- unnecessary letters here. Withred. I don't know. Why are there two T's? Two T's usually means wit, but there's an H. I've never seen two T's in an H. Maybe it's wit thread. That would be kind of cool. Then you get the T and the TH sound next to each other, wit thread. Huh. Well done. Well done, Jack's great-great-great-grandfather who came up with that last name. Who came up with last names, by the way? I think I've asked this on the podcast before. Who started that trend? Like, look, we've got like 400 Johns in this village. we got to do something, guys. This is getting crazy. Like, no more Johns, okay? But I like John. Like, well, we got to do something. What if we just had more names? What do you mean more names? What are you talking about? What does that even mean? Like John Matt. You know what? You're an idiot. Get out of my village. I don't, I'm just wondering. I'm just thinking out loud how that would happen. Let's go ahead and take that break. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, I think we can do this in a half of a show. What I think I wanted to do, and this is just a sort of 101 draft primer. I'm going to pull up my board here because I don't want to use somebody else's. I do this for a reason um, as far as aggregating out all these boards so I don't have to just pick like the draft network and pretend like they are the ultimate authority because I don't want to do that. By the way, might as well talk about it. When I started my YouTube channel, the, the entire purpose of it was I was going to be the Walter Cherepinski of YouTube. Basically, that dude just did mock drafts back when nobody really did mock drafts, and it really took off, and he kind of cornered the market as far as um, websites um, and and doing mock drafts. And if you think that you know most people today, well, I've never even heard of the guy. Whatever, he still gets millions of views per month on his website. Probably not as much as the Draft Network these days, but he does fine for himself. But I figured I'm just going to be that guy on YouTube because nobody else is really doing it. Now everybody's doing it, so I uh, should not have jumped off the bandwagon. But the the point is. What I started doing is I would pick a website. I would go to Tankathon or Draft Tech or whatever, and I would take their uh, rankings, and I would do mocks with it, and people would be like, you're a complete idiot. Why do you put that guy so high? Nobody has him that high. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everybody has him that high. Then you go look at all the other boards, and they don't have him that high. It's just that one site. So everybody has their weird little quirks. So I said, I need to find a way to aggregate all these together. So I started doing that about two years ago or something, I go to all the different sites. I've got probably 20, 25, 30, whatever big boards that I know of that are relatively well, not just every mom and pop shop opinion, but people that do this regular every year, you know, they're coming out with boards and I just average it out. If, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, on these boards, one, two, one, two, two, one, two, two, it just, at the end, you're going to have, you know, his average ranking is 1.21 which is higher than everybody else, so he's the number one guy. That's It's pretty straightforward, right? And so I got me a big board as soon as this opens here. And again, I'm, I'm currently working on filtering this stuff out. I'm working on a massive, gigantic um, draft cheat sheet, which is a lot of stats and whatnot and grades from PFF now that they have that kind of stuff. It's going to take a very long time. But as I go through that, I'm kind of checking to see if they went back to school or whatever. So I'm cleaning up my master list here. But I currently have like 1,400 total prospects on here. Not everybody is on the board because you have to have a certain number of rankings before I'll even put you on the board, but about 1,400 total prospects here. All right, now we got it set up. took me a little bit of time, but we got it. So I guess we'll go through the top 32 right now, and then we'll obviously spend a little bit of time um, at the back end and probably go and dip our toe into the second round a little bit just to kind of get an idea of the, the guys that are kind of in the Packers range right now. 
By the way, since this is an NFL draft primer, um, the Green Bay Packers are picking at pick 29, um, so they are ahead of the Buffalo Bills. We got that going for us. Um, they've just got a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. There are some compensatory picks, which are not official, but we've got a pretty good idea of what it is. The expected compensatory picks are a fourth round pick for Mr. Blake Martinez, a fifth round pick for Brian Balaga, and a sixth round pick for Kyler Fackrell. So that's, that's kind of nice. Um, and I think we'll see how it goes, but I, I kind of feel like there might be a slightly different strategy considering we're losing so many guys. If we do trade back out of the first, instead of giving up compensation like we've done in the past, trading up, being a little bit more aggressive, um, giving away those thirds and fourths and whatnot, we could end up trading out of this round, getting an additional fourth. I mean, we might have a first, or not a first, I guess, if we trade back, but you know, two seconds, a third, two fourths, two fifths, two sixths, and a seventh, something to that effect. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I just get the feeling there's going to be more picks than usual, and it'll really give uh, Brian Gutekunst an opportunity to showcase. Because I also tend to think, you know, he's he's not going to be drafting for the far future again, right? We're not doing another quarterback. Um, I, I think he's going to be looking a little bit more at replacing immediate needs, guys that are going to be playing, right? Cornerback is going to be a need. It's just a matter of draft him, and he needs to be good, and that's it. You know, defensive tackle, draft him, and he needs to play, and he needs to be good. So there's no more hiding behind, well, we don't really know yet, right? A.J. Dillon might be good, and DeGuara might be good, and Love might be good. We just don't know yet. Um, and, and again, I, I think he's done a good job, and we'll see how it goes. But I, I just I think we're going to have a little bit more, um, more picks and more opportunities to see uh, whether or not they're good football players. So anyways, of the uh, top, let's see, I need to fix this. Of the top 32 that I have, and let me just check, everybody is declaring for the draft, which makes sense. If you are a pretty solid first-round pick, you generally don't go back to school. So either they declared for the draft or they are seniors and um, don't really have an option here. The earliest guy on my board that went back to school is cornerback Darian Kendrick out of Clemson. After that is Chris Olave out of Ohio State. Um, otherwise, it's pretty solid. So it, so we're, everybody I mention is going to be an option. I mean, in the draft or whatever, not necessarily that the Packers can get him. But number one, obviously, is Trevor Lawrence. He is sort of the guy. And there's always this kind of hype. Maybe it's it's overhyped. I don't really know. But there's always guys that you hear are generational talents. We just haven't seen a guy like this in years until next year comes around. But Trevor Lawrence, we've been hearing his name since coming out of high school, and that's usually a pretty good sign that this is legit. Um, similar to Andrew Luck types, he is he fits everything. Possible. I mean, you know, he can quote unquote make all the throws. He's got a massive frame, which which uh, teams love. He's got a strong arm, which teams love, and he can run, which is one of the things that teams today look for. So he's got every single component you could look for, including intelligence. Um, number two, Penny Sewell, similar kind of thing, generational talent. Haven't seen a tackle like him in you know ten years, whatever that kind of stuff. Um, He's been, for a while now, the consensus number two. Some people have him as the number one. I think he, he fluctuates between one and three, but he is the top guy out of Oregon, 6'5", 325. After that, we've got Jamar Chase, which is I think would surprise a lot of people because some people don't even have him as QB2, much less the third best guy. you got quarterbacks, you got all these other guys that everybody likes, but he did not play in 2020. Um, he has consistently been the top guy. I do wonder a little bit about that because you also had a very good quarterback the number one quarterback in the draft last year that left and then we didn't get to see what Jamar Chase looks like in 2020 without that quarterback 
I've also personally got concerns because if you look at just his grades, only two years he played at LSU. 2018, he did not grade out very well. 69.4 overall. 20, or excuse me, that was 2018. 2019, he had a 91.1 overall grade, which is fantastic. But really, it was just a handful of really good games. Um, about half the season was let's, let's split it up into thirds. A third of the season was good. A third of the season was elite, and about a third of the season was average to subpar. So there was a lot of fluctuation there. On top of that, you look at the championship games. Those were not exactly his best games. Um, Clemson was his best championship game that he played. Uh, he had a 79.9 overall grade. If you look at his game against Georgia, 61. If you look at his game against Oklahoma, 60. Um, he had three elite games, which obviously really pulled up his grade. That was against Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt. So, you know, whatever. But what people are looking at is the production. The production was fantastic. On top of... I think from from what I've seen of him, and I haven't, again, I still have not spent a ton of time. I'm just sort of scratching the surface with watching guys. Jamar Chase reminds me of a CeeDee Lamb, but better. CeeDee Lamb was just, in my opinion, and I was not the biggest CeeDee Lamb fan, but he fits the mold as far as the body type. The body control was incredible. Great hands, all that stuff. Jamar Chase has that, but also has a lot better tangibles in terms of speed and route running and all that. So I get why people like him. 21.2 yards per reception is ridiculous. That's absolutely absurd. In uh, 2019, 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. So again, you can look at all the questions you want, but this guy dominated college football. And again, was it the quarterback? I don't know. Maybe the Bengals should just draft him and then we don't have to worry about it. But he is the seeming consensus number one, but, but there is another guy that's really forcing his way up the board and trying to compete and may end up going before Jamar Chase. But we're not there yet. Number four is linebacker Micah Parsons. You know how I feel about drafting linebackers, especially early. Um, the NFL loves it, and I, I, and I think that's part of the reason is they tell you that these are great picks. And um, when they go to the pros and they don't do very well, they don't really like to talk about that very much, especially when you watch them on film and they fly around. And they, they, I mean, they're great highlight guys. Their ability to just fly to the edge and make a great tackle is incredible. But on a down-to-down basis, most of them are not that great. You might remember last year there was a can't-miss prospect that was a linebacker. You didn't hear his name once, once this season, except early on when people are like, uh, this isn't great. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm not going to tell you his name because exactly, that's exactly my point. You don't even know who I'm talking about. But uh, Micah Parsons, six foot three, 240 pounds, didn't play in 2020. Um, so he's got a, a, a good build to him in uh, 2019, which again was kind of a breakout year. It always freaks me out when they have this one big breakout year, but uh, 77 in 2018, 91.6 in 2019, 94.8 run defense grade, 90 tackling grade, 86.8 pass rush grade. The biggest issue is that his coverage grade was not great. He's not a great coverage linebacker, which I think a lot of people look at and say he's going to be a real athletic kind of guy, so obviously he's a cover guy. He's not, though. He's not good at it. He wasn't good last year. He wasn't good uh, the year before that. I wouldn't say terrible, but it's certainly not the strength of his game. Um, he's actually very similar to, I mean, I would say Devin White, but Devin White had a 38.8 run defense grade. But that ability to be a great pass rusher, as well as being super athletic and kind of flying around and tackling guys and whatnot, um, ideally, Micah Parsons isn't that bad against the run, but he just brings that extra dynamic of being an incredible pass rusher. He had 26 pressures on 94 attempts, five sacks on the season. So we'll see. I, I tend to see him as a Devin White. And I think he's going to be similar to Devin White. Ideally, 
he's going to be a lot better than Devin White in terms of his ability to play the run. But we'll see how it goes. Again, I'm not a big fan of it, but somebody's going to take him really, really early. After that, we've got quarterback Justin Fields. Justin Fields is actually consistently graded out higher than Trevor Lawrence via PFF. Not not by a ton, but it's just in terms of uh, being a little bit underrated, I think Justin Fields fits that mold. I think people just see him and, and they're kind of bored by him. You know, there's nothing super flashy about him, but you look at his stats and it's really incredible. He kind of reminds me of Aaron Rodgers in terms of the guy does not make bad decisions with the football. Um, in 2019, he had 41 touchdowns, only three interceptions. 2020, he had 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, which is maybe part of the reason that he's starting to slide a little bit. Obviously, that was, you know, if, if you have a 41-3 and three interception ratio, and by the way, in against uh, Clemson in 2019, when he threw three interceptions, two of them came against Clemson in the final game. Uh, so he had zero interceptions against almost every team, one against Michigan State, two against Clemson. Then in 2020, you're throwing six picks. People are going to wonder. But still, his grade went up. And, and, and you talk about consistency. He played for Georgia in 2018, 90 overall grade. Goes to Ohio State, 91.5. 2020, 93.5. So again, I, I just I really feel like people are kind of lazy and just looking at stats. His stats, you know, 22 touchdowns and six interceptions is not as impressive. It's just not. His pass rating went from a 131 to a 120. But again, if you're looking at the the grading on a play-to-play basis, snap-to-snap basis, according to PFF, he actually got a little bit better and graded out higher than Trevor Lawrence. His lowest graded game all year was a 69.5 against Northwestern. That was his worst game all year. So, I mean, he, he's a good football player. He's six foot three, 228. He's very big. Um, he's not lightning fast, but obviously he can run around. He's hard to bring down. He's got a great arm, super cautious and, and smart with the football. I just think he's going to be a very efficient quarterback. I don't know what his high end is in terms of, you know, dragging a football team like Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes, but I mean, you get him in the right system and I just think he can he can distribute and be a very very intelligent quarterback. At number 6, we've got DeVonte Smith, who is the other wide receiver that's really pushing. I feel like this is a lot of recency bias. Um, one of the most dominant players in college football, which again is what Jamar Chase was last year, but because it's this year, a lot of people are pushing him up the board. He is 6th. It's possible he does go first. I mean, clearly a very talented football player. Um, you look at last year's class, we had, what, I think three? Was it two or three Alabama wide receivers came out? I can't remember. But presumably, Devontae Smith is better than all of them. In other words, he would have gone before Jerry Judy. The, the thing with Devontae Smith is he doesn't, you know, you look at Jerry Judy and, and uh, Henry Ruggs, for example. Henry Ruggs is just straight line speed. Jerry Judy, elite route runner. The consensus on Devontae Smith is he's not as shifty as Judy. He's not as fast as... as um, as rugs, but he is fast and shifty. He's kind of in between, and he can. He's more of a well-rounded wide receiver. He's just better at 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 uh, at being a wide receiver in general, and and he's not lacking in those areas. He just doesn't have the super high end like they do. Ninety-four point nine overall grade, which is a massive boom compared to eighty-two-seven the year before, seventy-five, and then fifty-five. So he's just shot straight up. And obviously, with a bunch of other wide receivers leaving, it gave him the opportunity to really showcase what he can do. Um, he's played all over, left, right, slot. He has had some bad games mixed in, but um, we're talking, I mean, remember what I said about Jamar. He had, I think, 1,724 touchdowns. This is 1,856 yards, 23 touchdowns, 15.9 yards per reception. Very, very talented wide receiver. Six foot one, 175. He's a little bit smaller, and he doesn't have 21 yards per reception like Jamar Chase had, but, I mean, still, just just tore up college. I mean, it's just, it's sort of, he has to go to the pros because it's just unfair having a guy like that play in college. He's too good. After that, you have Kyle Pitts. Um, basically, again, 
saying that they've never seen a, uh, a tight end like this in a long time. In fact, PFF is probably more enamored than anybody. I went back through the years. Um, I had to go back about 10 years before I saw a tight end graded as high as Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, it's just he is one of the highest graded players in all of college football. Absolutely freakishly dominant. If you go watch Kyle Pitts, I did watch a little bit of him. It's pretty clear to see why he's really, really liked. Again, it's always a high-risk thing, and it's kind of iffy taking a tight end. I don't really want to do that unless we're kind of like the Rams, you know, quote-unquote one player away, give me a break. And generally when you're picking in the top 10, you're not one player away, right? Why are you picking in the top 10? Unless you're like San Francisco where your quarterback got hurt and then you just draft a bunch of top-end guys and then you get your quarterback, whatever. But generally speaking, I mean, this is this is kind of why in terms of how good he is. Uh, of the teams that could possibly look at that, it's hard to say. I think if Miami did trade back with Detroit, that would be an option. Um, so many of these other teams need so many other things. The, the, the really upsetting thing is so many of these teams, when I do mocks, end up trading because there's, or not trading, passing on him because it's just, there's other needs and there's other really good players. And he always gets taken by New England at 15, which bothers me. But I think he's too talented to fall that far. You look at guys like TJ Hawkinson, who are not as good as Kyle Pitts that went in the top 10. You look at guys like uh, the other Lion that got taken early. He was not as good. So I don't know who's going to take him, but somebody's going to take him very early. After that, cornerback Patrick Sertan got to pick up the pace a little bit. I'm spending way too much time on this. Absolutely dominant corner this past year for Alabama. At number nine, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson will go well before number nine. Quarterbacks always go earlier than than their ranking because they're so valuable. Zach Wilson, I think, was, I think, the highest-graded quarterback in college football this year. you got to worry a little bit because it's kind of a, a Jordan Love scenario where he kind of came out of nowhere, had a great year. You wonder if, if you were to play next year, would it be the same? Or, you know, would he lose a couple offensive line pieces and kind of fall off? It's also BYU, not Clemson. So probably a little bit of concern, but, but I think for the most part, teams are really going to like Zach Wilson. He'll go in the top five. Jalen Waddell, the other Alabama wide receiver, currently averaging out at about 10th. Um, very underrated. I mean, his his grades have been going actually down, but he's been in the 80s all three years of his career. 5'10", 182. He is a little bit smaller, so you got to kind of wonder, but um, he's definitely a speed guy, 21.1 yards per reception. Uh, there's a certain team that's going to want that kind of a skill set that's going to really like Jalen Waddell. I tend to think the Packers would like him, but there's no way he's going to fall that far. I mean, he is smaller, 5'10", 182, so maybe they wouldn't like that, but I think it would be a good fit for the Packers if they decided to ever pull the trigger on a guy like that. But again, we won't have to worry about it. At number 11, we have Gregory Rousseau. I don't know why this keeps happening, but he needs to... I I wouldn't be surprised if he is there when the Packers pick. I mean, I, I guess I don't know, but it seems painfully obvious that he should be falling, but they just refuse to do it. Walter has him at 10th. GBN has him at 12th. PFN has him at 19th. Uh... You know, he's uh, 11th at Tankathon, 14th at CBS, 14th, 12th at Draft Tech. I mean, nobody wants to push him down the board, and it's honestly kind of annoying me, but Gregory Russo stays high. I actually think Quiddy Pay goes earlier than Russo. Quiddy is going up. Gregory Russo is going down. Um, I just, I think by the time this is done, Gregory Russo will be a late first round. Maybe, maybe he'll go a little bit earlier because there's so few edge rushers. It'll kind of force people's hand to, to go ahead and do it, but whatever. Um at 12, Trey Lance, who I already talked about pretty extensively, um, 6'3", 221, big dude, big arm, can run. At 13 overall, Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. Pretty uh, pretty high risk, high reward. I mean, people love Caleb Farley for sure, 
but 2018, he was really, really bad. He had a breakout year in 2019. He went from a 56 overall grade to an 86.9, so that makes you wonder. Also, it was kind of the second half of the year. He started off pretty bad. Boston College, 58. Dominion, 64. Furman, 65. He has his first 70 game against Duke, and then a 75 against Miami. He has an 81 against North Carolina, 70 against Notre Dame, 78 against Wake, a 91.6 overall grade against Georgia Tech, and then a 73-2 against Pitt. So it kind of came on strong, and I think everybody would have loved to see him in 2020, see if he can continue on with what he has done. Um, He went from a 96.5 passer rating when targeted to a 26.8. He only allowed 257 yards, one touchdown, had four interceptions, nine pass breakups. The other issue, horrific run defender tackler right he is strictly a shutdown corner he's doing nothing else so I mean it, it's it's people love him and they're saying he's going to go real early and I'm sure there's some unbelievable tape of this guy but there's a lot of question marks in my opinion about Caleb Farley because there's just I mean we're talking about ultimately um one two three four five six good games by the way if you want to watch film and you want to see the highs and the lows from 2019 if you can find his game against Georgia Tech that was his highest graded game. He had one pick in that game. North Carolina is a very good game. No picks but three pass breakups. Um, Georgia Tech might be tough because I don't know if they hardly threw at him. It says he wasn't even targeted, so that pick must have been thrown to somebody else. As far as bad games, I mean, Boston College paid particular attention to his ability to tackle. Three tackles, two missed tackles. So, Anyways, again, spending way too much time on this stuff. After that, at number 14 is Quiddy Pay. All you have to know is that he's basically Rashawn Gary. He's, you know, same school, same build, same kind of prototypical kind of guy. Not as athletically freaky as Rashawn Gary, but that's kind of what you're looking at with Quiddy Pay. At 15, Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech, 6'5", 314, flying up the boards right now. Um, incredible statistics. I just got done with my offensive tackle stuff, and he is just an absolute freak. Um, the other linebacker, one of the, the few that are considered top end, is Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa. I actually talked about him um, like a week before, probably days before he blew up, saying that that's a guy to keep an eye on. And since then, he's really blown up. Uh, consensus pick for him is for Cleveland. We'll see how that ends up panning out. But usually he's available, and by the time Cleveland's on the board, it's like, yeah, that's that's definitely our guy. Uh, at number 17, you get our first interior offensive lineman, Mr. Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. He's been kind of floundering in this area for a while, so I tend to think this is probably where he ends up going. Um, hasn't really moved up, and I don't know that interior guys are going to move up too much more. Obviously, you could end up with a team that's pretty desperate for offensive line that goes early. He could fall because he's a guard. We'll see how it goes, but this is kind of, there's always those kinds of guys, right? They're, they're, not super elite, but they're first-round talents. They're interior. Somebody's going to end up wanting them and taking them. Big old boy, six foot three, three thirteen. Uh, after that, you have Travis Etienne, which is another. It's another weird one because nobody likes Travis Etienne. He has been consistently the top running back since this whole process started. Everybody likes Najee Harris. Najee Harris is barely crack, cracking into the top first into the first round. He's at twenty nine right now, and that's about as high as he's ever been. So. A lot of people really, really want Najee Harris, um, but I think they might be disappointed when they end up with Travis Etienne. I mean, they won't be disappointed. Travis Etienne is a great running back, but it's kind of a weird situation with uh, with the whole Najee Harris and Travis Etienne thing. The fans love Harris. Um, these scouts and guys who do big boards and stuff seem to really like, um, really prefer Travis Etienne. 
that's not everybody. You know, PFN has Najee Harris higher. Dane Brugler has P, uh, uh, Najee Harris higher. But I think that's that's base. That's literally it. Those are the only two outside of Couch Scout, which is one I'm considering taking off. But um, everybody else has Travis Etienne higher. So again, that's a weird one, but uh, great running back. And and one of the biggest things that he's improved uh, at 5'10", 205 is his receiving. The first two years at Clemson, he was terrible. In 2018, he had a 45.6 receiving grade. 12 targets, 78 yards, two touchdowns, 6.5 yards per reception is all he was able to muster. Um, in 2019, that jumped up to a 77 overall grade with 433 yards, four touchdowns, 11.7 yards per reception, 145.1 pass rating when targeted. 2020, he had a 90.9 receiving grade. So that is massively improved. He jumped that up to 588 yards, two touchdowns, 12.3 yards per reception, 120.4 pass rating when targeted. Um so he's he's really worked himself into being a very dynamic running back. 5'10", doesn't really matter that he's smaller because his frame is still pretty big, 205 pounds at 5'10". Obviously very fast, very talented. He can run, he can catch, he can do that whole thing. So I can understand why he's still ranked very highly. Definitely needed a full episode for this. I'm going too slow again. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, uh, another guy, probably the first guy on this list that you could say is an option for the Packers. Obviously we're at 19, but... Things can get shaken up a little bit. I think a lot of Packer fans would like him. I don't think he'll be there. Again, we're at 19. we got a ways to go, but things can change. Six foot one, 210 pounds. He kind of fits the mold of at least being big enough for the Packers. At 20, you got Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher um, out of Miami. Six foot four, 245. I don't think it's impossible the Packers take a, a pass rusher, especially when you factor in, like, what is that position that is not impossible, but we don't think they're going to do it, but then they do it and everybody gets mad. Edge rusher kind of fits that mold, right? We've got two guys, uh, if, assuming Preston walks, and um, maybe they want another one. I don't know. You know you know that we're going to end up putting our head in our hands when they pick somebody. That happens every year. So it's just a matter of what it's going to be. So that that's not out of the realm of possibility. However, Jalen Phillips at 6'4", 245, depending on who the defensive coordinator is, and that's the other thing. Edge rushers, when you get a new defensive coordinator, one of the first things they say is, I want a different edge rusher. Mike Patton liked the big-bodied edge rushers. If we get a guy that kind of likes the smaller, shiftier guys, even though the, the NFL is moving more in the big-body direction, it wouldn't be that crazy to at least have one. Not that we're going to get rid of Zadarius and Rashawn, because they can still do what they do. But if he, wouldn't, if he li- would like that style... It's not impossible because, again, that, that becomes number one priority. Hey, I need this to run my scheme, and you don't have one. Not to scare you or anything. Uh, J.C. Horn, cornerback at pick 20 or at uh, rank number 21, South Carolina, six foot 200. Uh, we've got back-to-back tackles after that. You've got tackle Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. He's been moving up quite a bit. Sam Cosme at 23 has been falling down the boards quite a bit. These are both options uh, for the Green Bay Packers when you look at tackle. Rashawn Slater, from a statistical and grade standpoint, is clearly the better, but both of these guys are pretty talented for different reasons. Zaven Collins is a linebacker. This is another option, although they probably won't take a linebacker. But um, six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. He has got a ninety point six pass rush grade in twenty twenty, a ninety three point seven coverage grade. This is where it gets really exciting when you talk about possibly getting Zaven Collins, because this is the area where he excels. And he's two hundred sixty pounds at six four. He's a massive human being. But you look at what he's done, and let's start at 2018. Tackling was not great in 2018-2019. Pass rush was not great in 2018-2019. His run defense has always been kind of mediocre. But his coverage, 71, 80, and then 93. It just keeps getting better. His passer rating when targeted, 79, 79, and this year, 62. Um, his worst game that I can see was against Tulane 
Five targets, four receptions, 46 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Worst game he's played. Uh, he allowed negative eight yards against Oklahoma State. He allowed only 10 yards and had one pick and one pass breakup against UCF. He allowed nine yards and had a pick against USF. And again, these aren't huge colleges, but he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, one target, zero receptions against Eastern Carolina. Two targets, one reception against SMU. He had a pick in that game. Uh, against Navy, one reception for negative two yards. And then against Cincinnati in their championship game, one target, one reception, one yard. That's what he did all year. Again, worst game he had, five targets, four receptions for 46 yards. He gave up a touchdown and he had a pick. So, you know, and, and he's also got some solid pass rush. I mean, he had a 90.6 pass rush grade this past year. That kind of came out of nowhere. He had 16 pressures on uh, 51 attempts. So, you know, a third of the time. He added, added uh, four sacks, four hits, and eight hurries is what that amounted to. And we're only talking eight games he played all year. So someone to check out. If you want to see his best game, see if you can find his game against USF. So it's uh, Tulane against USF. Try to type in Zaven Collins versed. See if you can find that. If not, find Tulsa versus USF. He's number 23 on the defense. After that, you've got Joseph Asai, another edge rusher. So we got a pile of edge rushers in this area out of Texas, 6'3", two, uh, 245. Again, kind of a smaller edge rusher, but we'll see how that pans out. At number 26, you got Davion Nixon, who's flying up the boards, and I don't really understand it. I'm not a big fan of it. I've been mentioning him in, him in passing as a guy that I really think has to do with the, the flashy stats is why people like him. He's six foot three, three oh five out of um, Iowa. If you look at what he did, he had seven sacks on the season and, and had a pick. So I think a lot of people are looking at seven sacks and a pick, and they're like, dude, this guy broke out. The problem is if you look at his grade, he's pretty stand. I mean, 2019, he had uh, a 71, 2020, a 72 overall grade. So he's been kind of just decent, not not terrible, not great. He only had a 63 overall run defense grade. That went backwards massively. He only had two games graded in the 70s against Northwestern and Michigan State. He had a game in the 30s against Minnesota. 24 tackles, three missed tackles. The other thing is the sacks are massively overinflated. He, yes, he had seven sacks, but he only had 23 pressures. One in three pressures being a sack is way over overinflated. He had 23 pressures on 256 attempts, which is less than 10%. Same as what he had last year, 21 pressures on 247 attempts. So you've got a guy that's not that great of a pass rusher, and you've got a guy that's a pretty bad run defender. I'm just not interested at all. I don't care that he had seven sacks and a pick. I don't care about the flashy stats. On a down-to-down basis, I don't see much. His pass rush grades, by the way, the only reason he was close to a 70 is because he had an 81 overall grade against Northwestern. He had four of his sacks in that game, four sacks out of his seven. So he dominated Northwestern. So everybody saw his Northwestern tape and said, this guy's special. Okay, watch any other game. Go watch him against Minnesota and tell me how special he is. Not a fan of Davion Nixon. Now watch we draft Davion Nixon, and I'm just going to flip out. And then he's going to be great, and I'm really going to look like an idiot. After that, you got Rondale Moore. That's somebody that I think Packer fans would love, but it's kind of a would the Packers actually pull the trigger. I think Rondale Moore fits the sort of Tavon Austin role perfectly. Um, I'm just going through my wide receiver stuff, but he is five foot nine, 180 pounds. Again, most people say, well, they don't. The idea that the Packers don't draft guys like that is kind of silly to me. I understand there's probably some preferences, but just look at how few opportunities you have to draft people. Right, you get let's say seven picks in a draft. How many different positions are there? So how often do they even draft wide receivers? So in a five year sample size, how many wide receivers are we even looking at? And just because there's a general correlation doesn't mean they would never choose somebody that's that position. And case in point, cornerback. 
They refuse to draft small cornerbacks. They will not do it. They have a cutoff, and they will not go below that line. How do we know that? Well, because they've drafted like five of them, and none of them are below that line, so there must be a line there. No, there doesn't have to be a line there. What are you talking about? What did they do? They drafted Jair. So suddenly that line disappeared. Why? Because there's a general rule, but everything is flexible. There, there are no 100% rules that would never do that. I'll never do that. Nonsense. Now, it's not ideal, and maybe they care a little bit more about that than most teams, where some teams will look at it and say, I don't care, I just want a good, fast, wide receiver. Whereas the Packers say, I generally want somebody to be at least six foot, 200 pounds um, to be able to do what we're going to ask them to do. However, we'd consider it if they was good enough, i.e., again, Jair actually traded up in the first round to break their own rule, which I don't think is a real rule. I think we made that up. So I don't think it's impossible. It's just a matter of you better be really good. So we'll, we'll see. I don't think Rondale Moore is off the board. I think that's ridiculous. In terms of his receiving ability, I mean, he's been solid. Um, really only played one full year or, or you know, it's kind of hard to say, but Purdue 154 targets, 114 yards, 1,258 uh, sorry, 114 receptions, 1,258 yards, 12 touchdowns. After that, in 2019, he only had 30 targets, 29 receptions, 385 yards, two touchdowns. 2020, thanks to coronavirus, I believe, possibly injury, I don't know, I guess. Uh, haven't gotten to the injury portion yet. By the way, if somebody wants to help me with this, there's a lot of just grunt work to do. I know Matt's already got his own thing going on. If you want to kind of come over and help me with that, that'd be cool. Otherwise, I will happily take somebody else. There's so much just information to input into this. Um, just throwing it out there. For example, find out their injury history and put that on their profile. It's not a website, just an Excel sheet. It's just going to be a note. Anyways, um, so we haven't had a ton of insights recently, but there is that one 2018 year where he was very, very good, 88.8 overall grade, basically a 90 receiving grade, 113 pass rating when targeted, 11 yards per reception, 849 yards after the catch, 70 yards was his long, I think what might be even more intriguing is his running ability. Um, He's had 30 rushing attempts over his three years. Obviously, the bulk was in 2018 for uh, 248 yards, 8.3 yards per attempt, including three touchdowns, 10 first downs, five five carries over 10 yards, 4.37 yards after contact on average, and five uh, avoided tackles. Part of the reason I find that interesting is because when he runs, he's generally not lining up behind the line of scrimmage. He's doing a lot of jet sweep, end around, reverse type stuff. Of his 21 attempts, you got one reverse, three end arounds, and 16 jet sweeps, as well as one it looked like he lined up in the backfield. So 20 of these are him going in motion and getting the ball and running. This is the this is that guy. This is the guy that if we're going to continually put somebody in motion, this is the guy we put in motion. He starts at one end of the field. He goes in motion. Sometimes he runs a route. Sometimes he just stays where he is, you know, gets all the way to the other side and gets set. Sometimes we hand it to him. I mean, he is that guy. It's just a matter of how badly do we want that guy in this offense, and I tend to think we want it pretty badly. I think we have a number one in Devontae, and again, I think he's getting extended. I think we can find a number two that doesn't have to be in the first round, on top of already having some guys that we can hang on to. We'll see what happens with that. I know offensive line is important, but we also had a very good offensive line with the guys that we had. Could clearly go defense, but I'm just saying, I I think if, if you want to take this offense to the next level, the two biggest things are this position and possibly tight end if we don't feel like we have that guy. And again, I'm, I'm not as high on Tanyan, Tanyan as most of you are, but if they're content with the guy that we got, this is it. This is the one big thing that Matt LaFleur obviously wants badly. He, he uses this a lot, and you can go from having 
somebody that just does it for the sake of doing it and causing people to be, you know, we've got to watch that guy, to a guy that's really, 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 really good at it. So if I may try to get you hyped in one direction, and I'm not even saying this is my guy. i got to watch him a little bit more. But um, from what I've seen, and, and again, Tutu Atwell is another guy that I mentioned that does this a ton. I mean, it's basically every play he's doing that. So if you wanted a later round guy, it'd be Tutu Atwell. But Rondale Moore, despite generally being a guy that just lines up, he can be that guy um, and be very, very good at it. After that, you got Mr. Alex Leatherwood. He was at one point a top 10 prospect. He has fallen all the way down to 28. Looks like his highest rank right now is 18th. Uh, ESPN has him all the way at 86th. So, I mean, he, some guys just are not big on Alex Leatherwood. By the way, ESPN doesn't have, like, a guy doing it. They, they use, like, a scouting uh, service. I forget what it's called, but it's it's pretty legit, and they're not a fan. But Leatherwood is clearly falling into that ta- uh, that territory of, um, you know, being available and being around. Um Nothing super. I mean, obviously he plays for a massive program, which is great. Um, his run blocking has gotten better every single year, which is definitely something to keep an eye on. If you just look at his grades, 59, 65, 72, and this year 85. The pass blocking is a little suspect. Um, he went from an 82 in 2019, which is great, to a 73 grade. He went from zero sacks to giving up three sacks, four hits, nine hurries, 16 pressures this year compared to 10 last year. So clearly the pass blocking took a step backward. But um, certainly an option. Again, I, I haven't watched him. I don't know what his, you know, I think this is where a, a combine would really help to get the, the numbers and whatnot. I'm assuming there's going to be a hefty amount of pro days and things. But um, you got to kind of know about his, his mobility. Obviously, he's been playing for four years, three years. He's played pretty much every snap, mostly been a left tackle. However, in 2018, he did play right guard. So he's got that flexibility, which is kind of nice. It's not impossible we get a tackle guard hybrid. And what ends up happening possibly if he's not a very good tackle is we keep Billy Turner at right tackle, kick Leatherwood into right guard, and just get a dominant right right guard. It's I mean, something like that is not impossible. It's not my favorite option, but I'm saying it's a thing that could happen. After that, you get Mr. Najee Harris. I do not think we're taking a running back, but obviously there's been a ton of hype. He's been tearing it up at Alabama, 6'1", 230. He's an absolute monster. Um, he is graded as high as, it looks like, 17th by... Um, I believe that's Matt Infanti. Could be Jacob Infanti. I'm not sure. One of the Infantis. But again, he's sort of a back of the first round prospect at this particular point in time. After that, number 30, you've got Mac Jones. Again, a lot of people think that he could be, um, he could go very, very high. He did grade out phenomenally. One of the highest graded quarterbacks of the entire year. Um, he was he was way up there. But I think the lack of intangible or tangibles is sort of the issue. The lack of mobility. Um, I think there's questions about his arm strength. So he's kind of like Justin Fields, but to a lesser degree, I guess is how I would think of him. He's more of a static in the pocket, distribute the ball kind of a guy, and he's very good at it. But you got to wonder at the next level, what is his ceiling? At 31, you got Pat Fryermuth. I actually had the Packers taking him in one of my mocks. Um, I know that wasn't very popular, and I don't think it's going to happen. But again, if we are looking to add at tight end, and we've invested quite a bit, so I don't know that that would actually happen, but Pat Fryermuth is an option. He kind of, I'm not a huge fan of Pat Fryermuth having watched him, to be completely honest. He kind of reminds me of, of Jimmy Graham in a way. Obviously, if he's the older version of Jimmy Graham, that's great. That He kind of reminded me of what the Packers had in Jimmy Graham. Very big, incredible hands. That's probably his best attribute from what I could tell. I mean, he's got these big old bear paws if the ball gets anywhere near him. So he would end up being sort of that box-out kind of guy. 
but it feels like the NFL is going toward more speed, stretch the the stress the linebackers and safeties and whatnot. Um, I just I'm not entirely sure. I guess with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you could say, well, he could put it up in the right spot and he comes down with it, kind of what Jimmy Graham was supposed to be, maybe. But I just I don't know. I just don't think he's quite it. Uh, Dylan Moses is at 32. I think he falls and falls and falls. I don't think he'll be sitting here. PFF absolutely hated him in 2020. Uh, he was again. Big 2019 year, 2020 falls off. So you're looking at it saying that that's what worries you about guys that have one good year. I mean, if he had come out in 2019, he would have been, he'd have gone real early. And even that is not entirely true if you just look at his grades. I don't know why he was hyped up quite as much as he was, but absolutely abysmal. I mean, his 2017, his grade was a 78, which is fine. Graded out well in every single category, but he didn't play all that much. 2018, he had a full-time role. He had a 67 overall grade, horrible in coverage. And then in 2020, a 56 overall grade, 52 run defense, 59 pass rush, 62 coverage. Just terrible across the board. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But, I mean, his highest graded game was a 71 against Florida. That was his best, a 71. He had half the season or more was 50s. 54, 54, 53, 51, 50, 48, 43. That was probably a little bit more than half the season right there. And then he had four games in the 60s. He had two in the 70s. I mean, just, just terrible. Just really bad. I don't think he goes in the first round. I, he must just have some attributes that some coach is going to look at him and say, we can coach that guy up. And I hope that's not the Packers because the Packers have not demonstrated their ability to coach up linebackers. At 33, we have, I would say, if you were to do a poll of everybody's favorite prospect to the Packers, Terrace Marshall might be it, and that's the next guy. He kind of fits the mold, right? Whereas you look at Rondale Moore and say, yeah, but they're not going to like a 5'9", 180 guy. Terrace Marshall is 6'3", 200. There's not a lot of real big wide receivers. I mean, there's very rarely 6'4", 6'5", 220-pound wide receivers. The Packers just get them all. But um, very rare to get uh, that size in this draft class. But 6'3", 200 is about as good as it's going to get. And Terrace Marshall fits that mold. Played for a big program at LSU. Very good wide receiver. You look at the, I mean, he hasn't played all that much in any of these three years, which is strange. But uh, 21 targets, 67 targets, and then 67 in 2020, in which he played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 uh, games. But his ability in just seven games to get 731 yards. Um, similarly, the same amount of targets in 2019, he had 671 yards. Still got 10 touchdowns. Um, we're talking this year, 2020, 15.2 yards per reception. Did have seven drops, which is really, really bad, and that's something that you got to watch out for, especially Packer fans. You know, you get frustrated when, and th- and that happens all the time when when you get super. Like I was big on KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler had a pretty bad year. He got better down the stretch, but he had a pretty bad year, and everybody's like, "Yeah, well, you are an idiot for, you know, look at all the drops he had. Obviously, he's going to be terrible." Well, I think that might be a little bit overstated, but you got to watch out for this guy. Um, it's it's kind of a newer issue. He didn't have that problem in 2019. Only had two drops on the same amount of targets. But um, definitely an issue this year with the drop. He also had a 44.2 fumble grade, um, only had one fumble. But again, I mean, you dropped the ball seven times. Two of the passes thrown at you were intercepted. One of those that you caught was a fumble. It's just it, the, the ball is going in the wrong place too many times. Um, he did line up in the slot pretty much every single game, so he's sort of that big slot. And not that he has to be, but he has that ability if the Packers want him to be that. I know a lot of people are asking about his pass blocking or run blocking ability. I don't think I've seen a single guy so far in my um, looking at wide receivers that is a good run blocker. Not to say he can't be. I'm sure most teams don't stress it. So you look at a guy that's 6'3", 200, Matt LaFleur gets a hold of him, maybe he starts teaching him some stuff. 
But it is worth noting, Alan Lazard in college, dominant run blocker. <laughs> he, 2015, 82 overall grade, 2016, 86, 2017, 80. So it wasn't like, well, he's 6'5", 227, and we just taught him how to block. No, he's always been dominant at, at just destroying people in the run blocking game. That's just kind of his thing. So, no, I, I don't think he necessarily brings that to the table. I'm uh, talking about Terrace Marshall. I think he's just going to be a wide receiver, and hopefully he'd be a good one. Um, I Again, I haven't watched Terrace. He hasn't been on my list yet, but I know he's popular. Primarily, I think, because he's an LSU wide receiver that's 6'3", 200. I think that, honestly, is, is the primary reason. But After that, you got Jalen Mayfield. I think Jalen Mayfield would be a fantastic option. He played out of Michigan, 6'5", 319. He's the first guy on this list that is a right tackle. And obviously, just because somebody played um, left tackle doesn't mean they can't play right tackle. But it is beneficial to have a guy that has played that position. You listen to offensive linemen talk about the differences. They do say it makes a difference. You kind of have to retrain your body um, to function. He did play 37 snaps at left tackle in 2018, so he does have that experience. Otherwise, he has been very rare. I mean, one of the things that shocked me, and I did all the offensive linemen, just about every single one has played multiple positions. Most of them played like three or four different positions at some point during their time. So Jalen Mayfield, it's almost kind of a benefit, the fact that he's played 1,000 snaps out of 1,037 at right tackle. I mean, this is just what he does. You're not getting a lot of flexibility, but dude plays right tackle. That's what he does. That's what he's going to give you. If you want something else, draft someone else. But if you want a guy that just played big boy football at a big boy program at right tackle, this is the guy, 6'5", 320. He's allowed two sacks over three years, although that's kind of iffy because they played two games in 2020. He played 37 snaps in 2018. So basically... It's like uh, two sacks in, in one year. And again, this thing that I'm working on, the draft guide, what I have are sack percentages. So rather than, because it, it got confusing, like two sacks in three years. Well, not really. And you try to say, well, it's kind of like two point or 1.3 years, something stupid. It's like, no, how many snaps did he play pass blocking? How many sacks did he give up? That's your percentage. That's what really matters. So I've got the sack and uh, hit and hurry percentages and all that stuff. But again, basically one really full year. You could possibly say like one and a half years, 1.25. However you want to break it down. Two sacks, three hits, uh, 24 hurries. As far as his grades, 75.5 pass blocking, 72.3. This past year, which again was only two games. Um, so he, he wasn't really super dominant. But he seems kind of steady. You know what I mean? Everything about him, the fact that he's always played right tackle, the fact that he's always been kind of in that 70 range, you know, pass blocking 70, run blocking 70, next year 70, 70, 70. He's just right at that. He's good. Is he going to be really good? No, he's going to be good. And maybe you don't want that in the first round. I don't know. I'm just I'm just telling you what it is. That's the vibe I get from him. Next up is a safety by the name of Trayvon Morig out of TCU. Not talked about very much, but clearly an option for the Packers. Again, it's another one that a lot of people would be shocked by. But it's not impossible. We don't know exactly how long Amos is going to be around. Um, obviously, we've got a guy that's going to be around for a long time. But also just factor in that three safeties is not uncommon in today's NFL. It's actually extremely common. You have safeties that play in the slot. You have safeties that play um, free safety. you got safeties playing strong safety. you got safeties playing linebacker. you got safeties sometimes playing out wide. you got safeties that come on blitzes. So, I mean, it's just they are one of the more versatile pieces um, for a defense. And if you get a bunch of good safeties, you can do a lot of cool stuff. So in terms of his grades and whatnot, he did play a full year in 2020. He did take a little bit of a step back, but still very, very good. In, in 2019, he had a 91.6 overall grade. 
Uh, 70s for run defense, 70s for tackling, 91.9 in coverage, which is obviously the thing we care about the most. 47 targets, 25 receptions, 288 yards, gave up three touchdowns, had four picks and 12 pass breakups. And actually, as much as the grades are really good, I kind of like 2020 a little better because it doesn't have the fleeting stats as much. It's more solid. He gave up, uh, let's see, 41 targets, 20 receptions, 208 yards, only one touchdown, had two picks and eight pass breakups. So he's still got a ton of picks and pass breakups, but it went down a little bit, and you see that he's still very good. The touchdowns went down. He didn't give up as many touchdowns. Um, I think it's he's very inconsistent as far as his grade. Again, 74 overall, but that's basically three really good games and a bunch of not great games. But again, overall, you're looking at it and saying he didn't really have any bad days. Worst day in terms of yardage was 56 yards to Texas. The only one touchdown he gave up was against Baylor. He gave up 34 total yards, a touchdown, and one, he had an additional pass breakup in that game. Um, he does not blitz. He's never done that once, so that he seems to be sort of a, you know, you stay at the top of the of the field kind of blocking or whatever, but he has played a good amount of slot. And, in fact, they've actually called him a, a strong safety for the most part. So you factor in he is a very good tackler, so he could be an in-the-box kind of guy slash uh, slot guy if you need him to do that. He could just be a guy you convert to a slot corner at 6-2-2-0-2. Again, you see that kind of stuff happen a lot. You see guys that are safeties that, that they just move him to slot. We want you to play corner. Obviously, the last time we moved to safety to play corner, it didn't go very well with uh, Demarius Randall, but it's an option. It's it's an option. Um, so we're, we're clearly past 32 at this point, but just a couple more options. Christian Barmore, um, again, I haven't watched him, but I know I'm going to like him. I always like Alabama defensive tackles. I always like defensive tackles. Just big physical guys that just dictate to the offensive line always get me excited. Just, you're not going to block me. I'm going to push you out of the way. That's generally what you get from these guys. Again, I don't know exactly about Barmore, but we're talking 6'5", 310. He's a big dude. You know he's got long arms. He's been absolutely dominant for two years. He had an 80, uh, 88 overall grade in 2019, a 90 overall grade in 2020, so he actually got a little bit better. He is very consistent, um, not consistently elite. He's only got about three of those games, but his down games are mid-70s. He had one game at 59.8, was his worst game against Georgia, but he had 39 pressures on 324 attempts, so we're talking, let's see, it's obviously over 10%, 12%, which is solid. He had eight sacks on top of that, so tons of sacks this year. Last year, he didn't have as many sacks, so a lot of people say that's kind of a breakout, but it could be fleeting, whatever. Again, all I care about is pressures. He had 26 on 168 attempts. That's 15.5%. He's a good pass rusher. Now, you wonder about run defense. Well, he had an 83 overall grade in 2019, 71 in 2020, so he's actually a much better pass rusher. I don't care. I will be more than content with a really good pass rusher that is a competent run defender because part of what I want in a defensive lineman is a guy that is going to be sort of like a Mike Daniels because Mike Daniels, I think, helped Kenny Clark a lot by drawing a lot of attention. Um, and he's doing that when they're passing the ball, right? It's not like you get a really good run defender and that's going to help Kenny Clark be a better pass rusher. That's That doesn't make any sense. So I, I would be all for it. Um, obviously you want a guy that can be a, a competent run defender and you got to ask that question. Is he really that good? Again, in 2019, he was dominant 83 overall grade as a run defender, kind of took a step back this year, but it was about 50, 50, about half the year. He was average to, you know, kind of fifties, sixties, but he also had uh, like five games in the seventies, Auburn, Mississippi state, Kentucky, Florida, and Notre Dame. And by the way, um, two of his three games were championship games, Florida and Notre Dame. Ohio State was not great as a run defender, but he did have five pressures in that game as well, which does matter. I think that's an underrated attribute, at least by a lot of other people, is how well do they play in big games, right? That's That absolutely matters. It's a big reason why I really was a big fan of um, Deshaun Watson 
you know, playing for Clemson, he showed up and they beat Alabama. Like, you know, the spotlights were on. It does not get any bigger than this. And he showed up to play and he played fantastic football. And that that means a lot. Right. I mean, that's that's at the end of the day, you know, winning is great, but it's about winning it all. Can you get us over the hump? You know, his best games were against Notre Dame, big game, against LSU, big game. Kentucky, probably not as big. But, you know, again, when the lights are on, when it matters the most, that's that's what matters. Granted, his two worst were Georgia and Ohio State, but you know, whatever. I like him. He's an Alabama defensive lineman. I'm always going to stick up for those guys. Um, you got Carlos Basham, who I think would be a great fit in terms of if you want a guy that is similar to Rashawn Gary and you're looking at an edge rusher, which I know none of you are, but if the Packers were, he fits. 6'4", 275. Um, you got Sean Wade at corner. He's basically just a slot guy, but that could be an option. Uh, it's possible a team does try to slide him to the outside, but the the basic understand thing you need to know about um, Sean Wade at Ohio State is that he played slot for Ohio State and he was shut down. He was dominant, right? Everybody loved him. They moved him outside this year to see, like, can he do it? And the answer was a resounding no. It did not go very well for him. So I think most teams are going to see him just as a slot guy. Uh, which probably is going to slide him into the second round at least. Uh, Nick Bolton, very popular linebacking option. Six foot two thirty-two out of Missouri, so obviously he's much smaller. Again, most people are going to look at that and say, so he must be a cover guy, right? No, he's not. Um, he did have a pretty good year in 2019, but he, it's sandwiched in between two years that were not very good. Um, 2018, 156.3 passer rating when targeted. This past year, 94.5, which isn't the worst, but not great. 2019 is one good year. Uh, 71, but primarily he's a run defender slash pass rusher. So that's kind of the the prototype you're looking at. I think the Packers and and everybody really wants good cover guys, which is why um, I think you really got to take a long hard look at uh, what's his name. Where'd he go? Oh, Zayvon Collins if he's there again. Smaller school, so you got to worry. But if that guy at that size can really cover, man, that's you talk about a coveted player. But Nick Bolton, very very popular. Again, if you want to look at some games, um, the only, I mean, really, really bad game, if you see him against Arkansas and say he's bad, that was a really, really bad game. Go watch literally any other game. Um, as far as good games, he doesn't have any elite games, but Mississippi State, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU, Vanderbilt, all good games. If you want to see dominant, go back to 2019. That's when he had his elite year. Um, by far, his best game was against West Virginia. If you want to just like him, if you want to find a reason to like him, if we draft him and you want to get hyped about him, go watch him against West Virginia in 2019. Other than that, I mean, you got Trey Smith and Elijah Vera Tucker, our interior guys. Javon Holland is a versatile safety. Creed Humphrey at center, if we do end up moving on from Corey Lindsley, is possibly an option, probably more of a second-round guy. Um, Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. Asante Samuel, cornerback out of Florida State, been talking about him quite a bit the last few days. That's that's kind of that's kind of what we're looking at. And again, there's going to be a lot of movement. Some of these guys are going to move up and down and whatever. Um, some other guys to check out: Elijah Moore, very popular, smaller wide receiver. A lot of small wide receivers. Jay Tufele, the uh, USC defensive tackle, run defender kind of guy. Tyler Shelvin is six two three forty six. If you just want to see a big man move some people. So a lot, lot of guys that we can look at. And, again, if you got questions about the draft, we can look a little bit uh, deeper at some of these prospects. Again, this was meant to just be kind of these are the names, these are the positions, um, and this is just kind of a general overview. And, again, I'm, I'm just starting the process of learning about these guys. I mean, I know the names and the, the sort of backstories, but I haven't really been watching them all that much. And, and again, as I'm doing my scouting thing or whatever, um, I'm definitely learning a lot. So.
We'll keep it going, man. That's what we're doing. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I wonder if this is the longest podcast I've ever done. I, I knew I shouldn't have done this today. This needed to be its own podcast, but that's all right. This might be the record. Have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>